Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast, where we interview highly successful workplace wellness executives, experts, and entrepreneurs, and learn how they have found success where happiness meets business profitability. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast, and it is my pleasure and my distinct honor to introduce you to Jeff Jacob, who is the Executive Director of Face the Music Foundation and also the founder and the lead facilitator of The Song Team. But here's something that I think is even probably the biggest thing that gets me excited with this call. Jeff Jacob is a guy who is living my dream. Jeff, you have managed to bring what you love to do in this world, which is music, into the thing that you do for others to create happiness and success for them in their businesses. I'm very, very happy to be talking with you. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing well, and it's really, really awesome to be here. And I'm so excited about this new book you were telling me about, so we'll have to talk more about that at some point. But it's an honor to be here with you today, and you've got a great smile, man. You're, you're just making me happy. <laughs> Hey, it's all on purpose, right? It's the, it's the happiness podcast, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, all right. Well, way, it's a great way to head into the new year. I'm excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Now, Jeff, you know, I mentioned to you when we were having our sort of introductory conversation that I am just so in awe of anyone on this planet who has found a way to bring what they do to the world, their God-given gifts, whatever you want to call them, talents into the thing that they do for others that creates success for others. I mean, talk about profitable happiness. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your, your history, how you became who you are? You know, were there any defining moments that put you on this path to bringing your skills and your, your love of music into the thing you do for people in, in organization? Well, that's a heck of a question. So, as someone who still defines himself, even though I don't live full-time in Nashville anymore, I'm there a lot, um, songwriter is part of my self-defining label. So uh, you have to go back to the first time you remember writing a song, and that would be 10th grade. Um, and I had finally stopped taking those piano lessons that mom and dad forced <laughs> me to take. I wish I had not stopped, by the way, for all of you. Uh, um, but I stopped taking piano lessons because I was so bored learning what they wanted me to learn, and I just wanted to write my own stupid little songs. And uh, so I, of course, had a crush on a girl in 10th grade named Laura Miller, um, and I wrote a song. I don't remember anything about the song other than I'm sure it was very, uh, very much not a hit in the making. <laughs> uh, and um, it was probably a pretty, pretty poor attempt, but it was a complete song, and that was the first one I remember writing and then you know to really more directly address your question about taking songwriting and making it a big part of what i do every day whether it's with face the music foundation uh, or the song team the first time i remember i remember that music could be something and collaborative songwriting specifically could be something utilized for community building bridge building but also healing sort of the healing arts uh, it would have been 2005, and I had joined the nonprofit Songs of Love Foundation in New York City as a staff songwriter. I had applied, mm -hmm. there was an application process, and essentially that organization's mission is to pair up songwriters around the world with families of kids who are terminally ill. And through healthcare provider networks, uh, songwriters uh, uh, get a profile of a child who's suffering from an illness, typically a heartbreaking illness. Um, 
and we learn we would learn about their pet's name and their favorite sports team and the names of their friends and their favorite food. And within 20 days, we would have to turn around, record and produce a radio ready CD back in those days. Um, that was all about that child and their family and the things that make them happy. And that music was not meant for the radio. It was not meant to make anybody a lot of money or launch someone's career as an artist songwriter. Those songs were meant as a healing device, a mechanism to give more strength and happiness to families and their sick kids during their toughest days. And um, the, the rewards that the songwriters uh, would receive, we did receive small stipends, full disclosure, very, very, very modest for, for our labors. Um, but those didn't usually cover expenses. The biggest rewards were the letters we would sometimes receive back from these families mm. about, about what that song at that point in time meant for uh, them and for their child. And, and one, one stands, stands out to me after all these years still. I remember receiving it. It was one of the first ones I got. And it was from a family of a child suffering from leukemia. And they would listen to this song every time the child was getting ready to go in for treatment, mm. uh, right? right before, to try to put them in kind of a, ha a happy frame of mind. And you and I know very well the connection between um, a healthy state of mind um, and how we can heal or get through whatever the, it is that tough situation is that we're getting ready to go through, whether it's yeah. treatment for a disease or a difficult project at work or whatever challenges or, uh, we face in life, that if we have the healthy state of mind, it helps, no doubt, move something forward. And, and, and it helps with success. Um, so that would have been a defining moment with the Songs of Love Foundation that taught me that music can be something beyond an artist or songwriter writing a song, putting music out into the atmosphere um, for the sake of sharing with the world, and, but also because we're compelled as artists and writers to share. We just, it, it's something that's innately inside of you and you gen generally can't stop. Well, here's yeah. something else we can do with it. We can build bridges in the community. We can help people heal. And then with the song team, what I learned through professional development, I was working uh, at a large recording studio in Nashville in the late 2000s. But I was also not just helping run the studio. I was managing the career of the, the founder and owner of that studio. And part of what he did was he was a motivational speaker on leadership and customer service. Mm -hmm. And through many phone calls and conversations, trying to help him advance his career, I began to realize um, that there was a niche in team building that I could figure out a way to combine songwriting and professional development at these conferences and provide collaboration experiences. Started off as breakout sessions or small sessions, concurrent sessions at conferences at universities and Fortune 500 companies um, where it might just be myself and a guitar and 20 members of the board in a room. But within a few years, I was subcontracting hit songwriters from Nashville and Miami um, to do collaboration keynote experiences for 800 or 1,000 people um, where we would write a song and a narrative with 800 people in a ballroom instead of them just being talked at for a keynote. We would engage them in this experience that helps them to tell their story as a company or a division within a company or in an industry that's changing. And oftentimes something, um, I've got dogs barking in the background, I apologize. <laughs> that's um, okay. We would oftentimes find that these collaboration experiences were utilized when two companies were merging cultures. And so all of a sudden we would use collaborative songwriting as a bridge builder to help that company have a more successful launch of their new 
iteration, so to speak. We used to be these two separate companies that competed. Now we have one culture. What's a great way that we could bring each other together to sort of create that path forward using one language now? Oh, well, 90% of the biggest songs of all time on Broadway, Motown, rock, hip hop, country were collaborations. We could do this collaborative songwriting thing that we heard about. So that's kind of another sort of path that took me where I am. Yeah. You know, first of all, I love the arc of your story and, and really the history because it follows a lot of what most of us can see in the real world in terms of common sense. I'll give you an example. We talked about churches, right? Right. It, it's not a mystery. Um, there's no mystery for why every church pastor probably has, well, not a pastor, probably more of the, the more current churches, but every church preacher probably has a music situation right behind him or her, right? Yep. The music is an integral part of how we communicate and how we make meaning of the world. And so I also, I also really enjoyed the arc of your story as you went from the healing arts to now, in addition to the healing arts, it's also the helping people be, be successful arts, if you will. Um, and it, it, it's a very similar pattern, I think, that has happened in psychology as a whole. You talked about my book. You know, psychology used to be all about healing. Uh, you know, let's fix people. But, you know, recent psychology and the research has changed from let's fix people to let's start them from where they are today, which could be normal. They're not, they have no problem and just make them better. <laughs> let's help people get better instead of just helping people uh, recover from something. So, yeah. I really enjoy that because that's what I've experienced as well. So let's let's take take a look at that now in the context of sort of where you are today. Now you talked about um, these two organizations that you're part of. Maybe we should go. Let's look at each one of them and talk about them. What what um, is your role as as an executive director of Face the Music Foundation? And then we'll talk about the song team. What do you do there, and and how is that similar to where you've been? So uh, at Face the Music, I'm the executive director, and that title can mean different things at different organizations, but typically in the world of nonprofit management, you are at least one of the primary people um, responsible for making sure your organization is economically sustainable. Um, that's a fancy way of saying fundraising. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, donor cultivation, um, uh, fundraising events, uh, and uh, grant writing, um, but in the case of a new small nonprofit or a young, in our case, not a new, but a young, small and growing nonprofit, um, a lot of what I've had to do in my first seven months with the organization involved rebuilding the board of directors uh, because you can't do this alone. You can't yeah. do anything. You know, it's like almost anything in life. All boats rise. You have to put together a team in some shape or form, sometimes many teams in the same organization. Yeah. So right now, even though I've been involved in some direct fundraising activities and, and we're having some success with that, including one huge win that is now enabling us for the first time ever to expand some of our community music programs beyond South Florida into Nashville, Tennessee and Austin, Texas. So we're very excited about that. Yeah. Um, but, um, but as I told the people that hired me for this position when I first came on, my, my big picture goals for the first year are rebuilding the board as it previously existed, re-engaging the old board, bringing new blood in because I need help. I can't wear all the hats by myself for very long yep. and certainly we won't be successful that way to the degree that we want. And if we want to help more people in the long run, in the short term, we have to set a really 
firm foundation, a sound foundation. So rebuilding the board of directors, uh, building a team of volunteer or a or volunteer army, if you will, figuring out where I really need to bring in some additional paid help and finding the funding for that. Um, uh, we, we've just now for the first time moved from having a volunteer website designer and admin, for, the, for example, to me bringing in a subcontracted, even though it wasn't necessarily in the budget per se on that day, we were launching a new website and I needed someone to take ownership of it. And to do that, we really needed to hire someone. Um, and so that was a little bit of a leap for us. And, yep. and so that decision was made. So every day my hands are, are sort of involved in fundraising, event planning, team building, board building, community relations, PR, and it depends on the day of the week, you know, and meeting with community partners who are interested in taking our, our community programs, one of which is called Get In Tune and one of which is called Race Notes. And now that we have some funding that's actually coming in to fund these programs and we're growing them, what are the partners in the community who already have an existing program infrastructure that want to host these programs? Mm -hmm. We're not asking these partners for a dime. We're saying, we have this really cool program. Here's what it does. Here how, here's how it uses music to help people. Mm -hmm. Are you interested in trying it? It's, yeah. difficult. It, and it's, and it's difficult for when we have quality conversations and we're saying, here, would you like it? It's difficult in the, for them to say no because we're not asking for anything other than them for the try it. So, so um, there's a lot going on at Face the Music. It's very exciting. Sometimes it can be pretty awe-inspiring mixed with a little bit daunting at the same yeah, time. Yeah, um, you, you know, know I, actually I was going to ask you again about sort of the mission of, of Face the Music. I mean, it's a, it's a real powerful mu uh, mission here. Uh, you know, you say on your website that it's about saving lives uh, one note at a time. You know, this yeah. whole idea of, of healing addiction through the power of music. How exactly does that work? How does music uh, play into the idea of helping people heal? Do you teach uh, people who are struggling through addiction how to play music? Do you bring them into collaborative things involving music? How does it actually work? So uh, I'll speak primarily to our programs. And our yeah. programs, although there are, there's some ancillary little, little add-ons and and, and you know, when you're a young organization, one of the benefits you have is flexibility. We're not stuck yep. in, this is the way we do things because this is the way we've done things for 20 years. It's, this is yep. our program. Oh, someone suggested a way to improve it. Let's take that advice and give it a shot. Pretty neat. Um, but we have basically three programs. One is called Get In Tune. One is called Grace Notes Project. And the other is where we raise funds as a financial assistance programs um, to get people into treatment. Uh, or in some cases to help them with after treatment, after care, whether it's um, someone writing us a letter saying, I'm four months clean, I've gotten my first job after being clean and sober, um, and my paycheck at the new job has not caught up yet to my um, expenses. I'm living in a quality sober living house, and it's $190 a week. Is there any way that you could help me with that? So occasionally we may write a check to get someone a couple of weeks closer to their paychecks, cutting, catching up to their expenses. Now, where does music come into play in that conversation? Well, all of our events and all of our programs, where we have benefit concerts that we're growing a network of throughout the country, we have small community music social action programs, such as one called the Love Wins Revival, which we're growing in South Florida, Nashville, launching in March and June in Austin, Texas. Everything we do, whether it's an event or it's a program, 
get in tune or grace notes are music based. So what does that mean where our programs are concerned? Our get in tune program is a month long module that we typically do at places such as a boys and girls club or YMCA with 12 to 18 year old underserved youths and through modes of music therapy type programming. And I say type very specifically because unless you have a certification in music therapy, you have to be cautious about calling something music therapy. Yeah, that exactly. Said, some of the modalities we use would be lyric analysis. We might, with a therapist in a room and a musician in a room, work with 20, 12 to 18 year olds who don't have a good family support structure. And we might have them analyze the lyrics of a hip hop song that they listen to a lot and talk with us about what lyrics resonate with them. Why do these lyrics resonate with them? Do they have a song of their own that they listen to to pump them up during dark periods of time, whether it's a, a bad day or a bad week or a tough time they're going through? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we might also use collaborative songwriting to help them learn how to advocate for and voice their needs better verbally when a lot of these kids are growing up in situations that don't encourage them to express themselves verbally, eye-to-eye -eye contact. Music helps us learn and retain and break down obstacles to learning it's why we all learned our ABCs to a, to a melody. Mm -hmm. And like you said, at a church or a synagogue, I've been in a lot of these places, and if I don't like the music, the, the, the liturgy doesn't resonate with me nearly as much. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the Get In Tune program for a month, we work with these kids on topic matters such as addiction, bullying, self-awareness, drawing, uh, drawing healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. Learning how to work with the other, empathy for someone who looks different, dresses different, sounds different. All of this is done through music modalities. Mm -hmm. Now, our Grace Notes project looks at sort of the flip side of the coin. So get in tune can be looked at as both preventative and educational for a young population. We're hoping that through these type of programs, some of these kids will make better choices when they, when they face a fork in the road that yes. saves them from some of the pain, okay, of becoming an addict or a criminal or both, um, you know, or doing something that they're going to regret for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. The Grace Notes Project is aftercare, and specifically it's aftercare for musicians who are already in recovery from treatment mm -hmm. for addiction. And it takes these musicians and it puts them out into the field as musical warriors. That's what I call them. And they, and they perform live music for other forgotten populations. And what that means to us is, publicly funded uh, senior citizen facilities or possibly daycares for adults with special needs or kids with special needs. We all know now, having looked at various studies for several years, the benefits of music in treating or at least preventing the, uh, the progress of dementia or breaking through to a kid with autism who has severe difficulties communicating with other people. Mm -hmm. You can reach these people. So we also know that live music has health benefits and some of these other forgotten populations um, do not receive enough opportunities to benefit, not just from the enjoyment factor, but from the health factor, the vibration factor, um, the engagement factor of live music. So now you have musicians who are recovering from addiction, who part of their path to staying clean and sober is almost always a regimented, structured, purposeful life day to day and week to week with meetings and therapists and various ways to stay um, in their lane, mm -hmm. on their path. So in addition to that, we've added this community service music project where they're taking their love for performance of music that already exists inside of them. Mm -hmm. Hey, do something you enjoy, but do it for someone else in a way that benefits them. Yeah. So 
So those are our pro those are those are the ways we utilize music, and it's really exciting just to talk about it because, yep. um, and you know, yeah, and, and and those are and and those are really just one of the two buckets, right? The second uh, bucket, if you will, for how you use music is more more corporate facing, right? I mean, you, yep. you first of all have a great TEDx. Um, experience that you've, you've shared on your website where you led a community building event uh, for, for corporations using music, but you've also worked with Delta Airlines, KPMG, Bank of America, Nissan, I mean, really big names in the corporate world. Tell us a little bit about the song team, which is, you know, your arm of, you know, the, the use of music, if you will, that is more corporate facing. How, how does that work for you? Well, um, briefly, so the song team kind of combines my passions of professional development slash team building with songwriting in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and, and team building is kind of the general phrase used. We prefer these days collaboration experience or, um, but uh, team building, you know, traditionally at corporate conferences, regardless of industry over the years, um, you might have the, the meeting planner, whoever's putting together, you know, they might put together four keynotes and 38 concurrent sessions on every topic imaginable. And a lot of them were specific to that company or industry, but they're almost always bringing in generalists, people who can talk about topics that resonate regardless of the field. So leadership experts or customer service experts or, you know, team building collaboration experts. And, and so we utilize collaborative songwriting to bring people together and work on their creative problem solving, their communication skills, um, break down whatever creative barriers uh, exist, uh, innovation, and, uh, and we create sometimes small breakout sessions, but more and more often large interactive keynote experiences where with a thousand people in a ballroom at, say, a sales conference for a tech company, we will write with them a song with possibly 15 songwriters from Nashville and Miami and a full band behind us and the two big mega church screens behind the stage. And we will write a narrative that's all about their existence, their goals, their challenges, their issues, their new products, services, and initiatives mm -hmm. they may be launching as a company. And at the end of a 90-minute interactive keynote, they may have what, what, in, what is essentially a new theme song for that company or that yeah. organization. And it'll be performed with certain volunteers from the audience and a full band as an exclamation point to end possibly the, the, the opening session of a conference or, or oftentimes the closing keynote of a conference. Those are the two most, point, most common points that these collaboration experience keynotes are utilized is to kick off a conference or to close one out with a, with a bang. Yeah. And they're fast-paced. Um, and even after all these years of doing them, I'm always a little bit nervous leading into them because <laughs> we've, we've talked with the meeting planners ahead of time. They have filled out a questionnaire to tell us as much information as we can, um, as, as we can sort of incorporate that, that personalizes and customizes the experience to their necessary content matter so that mm -hmm. facilitators, songwriters, the audience is writing the song, but we're helping them steer, you know, we're helping them sort yep. of steer it and fine tune it and turn it into a message that's, that's not just, a bunch of words on a wall, but a cohesive narrative, so to speak. Yep, yep. Um, so these experiences always have a certain amount of spontaneity and the mix between spontaneity and how we reel it in and focus it is always different in every conference. And so we know what we're doing and we know we're going to get there. But, mm -hmm. you know, do, do we ever get thrown a, uh, 
a monkey wrench that throws us off and makes us think and, and, and slows us down for five or 10 seconds before one of us thinks to say, well, that's great. What if we, what if we shift over here and write it this way? Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are not perfect experiences, which is okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Um, but, but they're a lot of fun and we get great feedback and, um, and it's another way to just use music to bring people together. And, yeah. 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 You know, you know, um, I, I totally, I love what you just said about sometimes, one of your participants will will throw you know some non sequitur some curveball that <laughs> can you know change everything and then you have to bring it back actually i used to uh, i used to be um i was a vice president in central texas here for uh, dale carnegie training and wow. if you've ever been to a dale carnegie training event uh, it, this kind of sort of beautiful chaos <laughs> can yeah. happen yeah. um you know where you're helping to lead uh people through these really emotional and powerful experiences. In fact, it was while I worked with Dale Carnegie that I, the, the light bulb went out for me as to why aren't we having a music-based version of this? Um, because frankly, we're, we're talking about the same kinds of things, connecting people to emotion first, and then from that emotion, they want to take action. The, the, you know, the emotion is where you have to arrive at before you can really fully take action back at work. So I totally see see the the connections you've made. You talked about the the um, the science of this becoming important to you at a certain point in your point in your career. It wasn't just about you know using music for self gratification to be a star or something like that. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you view the science behind music. Um, you know, as as really driving. Um, the collaboration experiences that, that you've, that you work with right now? Well, I want to get very specific on that uh, as it pertains, especially to my work with face the music foundation. So okay. uh, face the music foundation is the sister nonprofit, if you will, of a very cool treatment organization. And I want to be clear, face the music foundation. We are not a treatment organization for addiction. Got it. Yep. But Recovery Unplugged is a for-profit treatment organization that uses a lot of the same music modalities that we do in our community programs. Yep. They use actually supplement science, evidence-based, traditional treatment models. They don't replace those models. They have doctors and nurses and, and therapists on staff, but they supplement those models and use music as a catalyst to better engage them to get much better outcomes in the long run. So with that being said, at Face the Music, um, one of the things that we've learned, I've learned through my partners at Recovery Unplugged, who honestly were much more well-versed in the addiction field than I was when I came on board, mm -hmm. was that it's now been proven that music attaches itself to the same pleasure centers in the brain as drugs and alcohol and frankly sex. The dopamine, the chemical that is released from these things that get someone high, mm -hmm. that dopamine is released when someone listens to music they enjoy, plays or sings music that they enjoy. So if you can take that science and replace the need to get high with different music modalities for someone, creating a personal soundtrack for them that they can always go to mm -hmm. on their MP3 player, whatever their device is. When they're having those moments of, man, I want to use, I, I, I can't, I just lost my job, I just, I just left this relationship. If you can replace that need to get high with, I'm going to go to my go-to soundtrack right now, and I'm going to listen to 
that Kelly Clarkson song and that song by Journey, what's it called, that everyone's heard 8,000 times, Don't Stop Believing, which is one of my go-tos. Yeah. The <laughs> that's the most downloaded song of all time, by the way. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, so much so that we've just started playing an acoustic sort of Americana version of it at some of our sessions for fun. Mm -hmm. And one of the coolest things in the world um, is seeing how music attaches itself to the retention mechanism in our brain. Yes, so, that, was, that was the next, that was going to go there. So yeah. I'll give, I'm going to give you two specific examples. So about four months ago, we had a videographer with us, with myself, um, one of our musicians in recovery, actually the founder of our Grace Notes project, a great guy named Carl. He's a fiddle player, a maestro, um, and he's a musician in recovery and, and an amazing therapist on our staff named Cliff. And we were all sitting in with about 15 kids between 12 and 18 at a local boys and girls club. Mm -hmm. And the last two sessions of our four weeks with the boys and girls club, the first two, there's no live music. We, we play various music off the internet and talk about it. And, and, and it's basically a therapy session. Then we get into some live music um, and some songwriting and it's all done uh, with musicians in the room. And we played two songs for these kids one day. One was a song, an empowerment song, um, by an artist named Gloria Gaynor that everybody's heard a million times. Yep. I will survive. Yeah. yeah, It's a great, you know, before Kelly Clarkson and all these modern <laughs> artists had these big women empowerment songs, this was one of the big ones, you know, the yeah. late disco era. Um, I learned that song about eight or ten months ago um, so that whenever I would sit in a room with a bunch of people who were looking at me, this skinny white Jewish guy with whatever preconceptions they had, <laughs> I could say to them, I bet you're not expecting me to sing a song by a black female disco singer, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to try. And so we, we would do this song. We did this song with an acoustic guitar and a fiddle, I Will Survive. Mm -hmm. And these kids, most of them knew the song and were singing along to it because of their parents. All right. Mm -hmm. So then we played an original song that I had written called Holding On to Hope. And no way in hell had any of these kids ever heard this song before mm -hmm. because it's never been on the radio. By the end of our first time through with, on this song with these kids, um, one of the girls in the room was singing along to the chorus of a song mm -hmm. that minutes before she had previously never heard. Mm -hmm. And we only know this because as we were going back through the video footage in, in an effort to create a uh, sort of an educational promotional video to explain what we do to people mm -hmm. better, yeah. um, the videographer had honed in on this girl singing along the words to a song she had she had never heard before two minutes previously. she's singing along holding on to hope walking down faith street which is the first two lines of this chorus mm -hmm. i'm sitting here looking at this for the first time and i'm thinking she's never heard this song before and she's yeah. singing along to the chorus the retention mechanism in our brain works exponentially better when music is engaged as a catalyst for that mechanism and that's a power, powerful, powerful thing. And, and now the science also shows that music can slow the progress of dementia. Mm -hmm. It can reach kids who are, you know, uh, on the autism spectrum in a way that, you know, traditional therapies that don't use merit music um, can't. And we have all this science that's now backing up what us as musicians and songwriters and artists of various sorts have intrinsically known deep in our hearts and souls for decades. Yeah, yeah. Which is that music isn't just this cool, fun thing. It can, it can build bridges, it can tear down walls, it can launch a revolution, and it can definitely be a catalyst for change. Yeah, you know, on that note, as far as um, a catalyst for change, 
Um, I'm going to just bring some, some more science on the table for you because you know we're, we're on the same page here. But, you know, one of the biggest challenges in corporate America when it comes to training um, is the retention issue is will people transfer what they've learned in the classroom or in the training event to their actual jobs? And the numbers are woeful. I mean, something like 85% of all, you know, investment into training is lost because people don't remember, <laughs> don't retain, and don't use what they learn in training. And Dale Carnegie Training and any other of the training companies that are out there have the same problem. Yeah. Guess what? Music <laughs> has been proven, as you've said, to deliver uh, retention in, in a way that's like unprecedented. Like music, as you said, attaches itself to every single part of our brain, improving memory, creating associations that are just so much more powerful than anything else any other activity you could use. So just to add to your, your list of scientific things there, you know, yeah. when you use music as a collaborative thing during a training event, people won't forget the song. I mean, real quick, I'll tell you that I, my music journey started when I was a child in a war zone. And you know, I'm talking about hunger and death and everybody's struggling. And instead of us finding food, because there was none, refugee camps, you know, or finding safety because the bombs were still falling, we found music. My mother would sing to us. That's what she did. She would tell stories and sing about food. And somehow that replaced the need for food because it attached, that the songs attached themselves so strongly to our brains. I mean, I still sing some of those songs years later today. So I just want you to know that um, I'm on, on the same page with you 100%. Music has a power for retention and memory and connection to, to, to metaphor that is just unprecedented. Yeah, no, it, that's a powerful story. Yeah, music, we could go on and on about this. Yeah, but, we could. <laughs> but but the, with the story you just shared about how in this really difficult, difficult situation, painful situation, it was helpful in all of its simplicity and authenticity. It's amazing, you know? Absolutely. So, okay, so, you know, here we are and... I want, I want to see if we can wrap up by talking a little bit about wellness and, um, you know, corporate wellness, uh, you know, workplace happiness, another area of a lot of scientific discovery. And people are really moving in the direction of how can we help employees be happier at work, be more engaged at work, um, be connected to what they do so that there can be more profit in their organizations. I've seen this, you've seen this, but what I really enjoyed was your personal story about how it sort of worked for you as well. Can you tell us how in your experience, happiness has turned into business, tangible business outcomes? And, and what's that link between happiness and profitability for you? So full disclosure, most mornings in case I don't get to it later, I pick up a guitar, not the one behind me. That one's kind of just for show these days. It looks yeah. nice. It doesn't sound so great. There's some really neat people who have signed that guitar, by the way. Gene Simmons from Kiss. Ooh, uh, wow. Agatha Von Trapp from the Von Trapp Family Singers. John Waite, Charlie Daniels. Um, just a wide swath. Loretta Lynn. Wow. Uh, I pick up the guitar most mornings and to play at least a song or two before I head out the door um, for myself. Mm. Uh, because the vibration of the playing and the singing, it's kind of like getting on the treadmill or doing yoga, which I also do. Um, it's very much about wellness, personal wellness. And um, along with maybe a short meditation, most days I try to do that stuff for myself briefly um, so that I'm better for others 
the rest of the day. Yep. And, and, um, and, and, and because the day can get away from you oftentimes, if you get that done, you feel like you're already ahead of things. Yes. So, you know, there, that's a, a modest example of how personal wellness and happiness can make you more successful on a daily basis. You know, and then if you extrapolate that out um, to your week and your month and your quarter um, fiscally, uh, when, you're, when you're healthy and happy personally, it's inevitable that you're going to produce better results as a individual. And if you're a healthy organism or organization, very similar words, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, a healthy, a healthy organism, the, the, you know, our, our body is an organism. A healthy organism is more efficient and produces better. It's the yeah. same with an organization, a healthy organization, a happy organization with uh, employees that are engaged um, and invigorated and taken care of mm-hmm. um, and, and affirmed they are generally employees that will produce better and stay longer um, in the organization. And so the success follows all of that. The financial success and other, and other measuring sticks for success follows that wellness, whether it's for an individual or for, you know, an organization of five fingers, you know, yeah. and, and, and um, you know, you, I think one of the things that we see in the conversations we're having at Face the Music and even across the hall, if you will, at Recovery Unplugged, as we're talking with more and more corporations about their wellness programs and what, what do they do about helping their employees with addiction and mental health issues, mm-hmm. which are still, for a lot of companies, are still hot button topics that they don't know how to address and they don't know how to address it as well as they do, say, gee whiz, you know, someone such and such has now got diabetes or such and such has got cancer. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies have a plan or six for helping people with those, those challenges, those horrible challenges. Mm-hmm. But you ask them what they do, um, what's their policy on uh, employees in a drug-free workplace environment coming to their HR professionals and say, I've got a problem I'm a, and I need help, when oftentimes they're afraid they're going to lose their job if they come forward. Yeah. So how do you address that and have that conversation? And, and so, you know, we're having those talks every single day about adding addiction issues and mental health issues into the overall wellness conversation for the benefit of those companies' long longevity and success um, because they have to have a broader view and a more holistic approach um, to wellness and health in their, um, within their organism, their work organization, than just the things that you can unfortunately see more easily, which is so-and-so is battling cancer, or so-and-so had a baby and needs maternity leave, or so-and-so has uh, developed diabetes. Yeah. We, need to, we need to be able to help them and get rid of the stigma altogether discussing these related issues. You know, it's, it's interesting. You had mentioned that you, you want to you learn a little bit about the book I'm writing, which is called The, the Seven Songs of a Successful Team. And as you were talking, I want in. I want you, in. Yeah, you, 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 are, you want in. Don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about it a lot, I'm sure. Because, <laughs> you know, I think where we, you're, you and I are totally in agreement is, is that the song, if you will, is the soundtrack of our lives, is the soundtrack of our work. And a lot of us have forgotten that we, we are music. Like, we are vibrations. And when you yeah. wake up in the morning and you empower yourself with meditation and the vibrations of music, you're actually empowering the, 
what you really are at a biological and physiological level. And, but people don't make that connection. But then when I see people, I've seen thousands, well, not thousands, I think this is probably 800 or 900 people in this room with you leading the, the song, the the song team thing and I yeah. see them all shouting and clapping and, ha- and they're happy. That's just evidence that we are music. And so let's not leave that music behind, right? No, I mean, music, I mean, musicians understand and it's tough for non-musicians to understand. Um, although it's great if one's just a music fan. Um, yeah. Um, but, but uh, musicians understand that for us, music is like breathing or drinking water or, or, or a blood transfusion. I mean, it's, it's essential. It's not an add-on. It's not an elective class. It's, mm-hmm. it's and, um, and, and elemental. So, yeah, it's, um, it's just a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Yeah, and yeah. you talk about the vibration. You know, one of the things we, we say, I say, at most of these uh, corporate conferences, when we're talking with the leaders in an organization or the leaders in all of their different departments and divisions is to remember that, the, te- the members of a team are like notes in a chord of music. Absolutely. Ind- individual notes have their own sound, their own attributes, mm-hmm. and you put them together, you put those six strings of a guitar together, and you put your fingers in a certain position, and you create a certain sound. And it, it's all these, it's, so at a company, it's the HR department and the accounting department and, and the wellness department and the front desk and, and marketing and, you put all them together and if a great employee leaves because they got a better offer or because they're sick and weren't taken care of well enough, um, then the sound of your team changes altogether. Yeah. And so companies have their own sound, organizations yeah. have their own sound, and it's the notes in a chord of music. That's the analogy we use yeah. over I- and over and over again. And we demonstrate it oftentimes by strumming a chord when we're talking about this and saying, what if Mary at the front desk is the little little bitty finger that plays this string, and all of yeah. a sudden, so now Mary's gone, and I take the string off the finger. What does then, it sound yeah, like? Now listen to the sound of this chord. It's different. I'm not yeah. saying it's better or worse necessarily, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And as leaders, we have to be aware of the sound of our team and how we can constantly improve it and augment it, and especially find those hidden talents of your team members because, man, sometimes that can really improve the sound of your team, those hidden talents, those hidden strengths that they weren't hired for. Sometimes that's their biggest asset. Yeah. You know, let, let, me, let me throw in one that if you don't already do this exercise in your, in your stuff, you might enjoy it. Um, it's kind of a Dale Carnegie type of thing, but I, I do this for, for my events. I ask everybody to get ready and we're going to spend the next one minute or less. Everybody just saying whatever they want to say and shouting it at the top of their, their lungs. <laughs> We're going to sustain it for like a whole section of time here. And then they, they do that and they hear the chaos themselves. <laughs> and they, and they, they enjoy just realizing, what are you talking about? Everybody's just shouting about nothing that has anything to do with anything else. And then once we say, okay, let's do the exact same thing, but this time we're all going to be in harmony, right? Which yeah. is one of the elements of music. We're going to be in harmony. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And you're going to do that. And all of a sudden everybody's... Uh, sounding really beautiful together. You know, yeah. Jeff, you, you, yeah, I'm sorry, what did you say? I said that's perfect. You got to be, yeah. you, you, you know, you can either be in harmony with each other or dissonance. Exactly, and, exactly. And so, so that was a perfect, perfect thing you said, yeah. Yeah. You know, Jeff, as you can tell, you and I could talk for hours because we're like 
so on the same page and I'm really, really glad for our connection and conversation here. But how can people reach you at, uh, whether it's for the, the song team, for the more corporate uh, uh, interactions or the Face the Music, which is the, 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 the foundation, how can people reach you so that they can begin a conversation with you about the healing power uh, of music and the collaborative power of music? Uh, multiple, you know, we've all got 18 ways to reach me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primarily for me, uh, with Face the Music, uh, I would say folks should visit our website, which is really easy, facethemusic.org, and they can okay. reach me there. Um, if, if they want even more direct access, they can just email me, Jeff J, as in Jacob, Jeff J, at facethemusic.org. Okay. And, and of course, Face the Music Foundation is on Facebook and it's easy to find, and we do a lot of communication with people through that medium. And then the song team, much the same. The song team's website is the song the songteam.com. Um, they can email me off the site there, or us, or some uh, other folks help me with that. Um, uh, or they can simply email me Jeff at the songteam.com, and we're also on Facebook, of course. Yeah, and, and you're on LinkedIn, so I'll, I'll also have that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have that included in the, in the show notes here. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for sharing a little bit of, of your work, your very important work um, uh, on both the corporate and the, and the foundation side um, and, and some time with us today. It's been a pleasure learning from you. Thank you so much for having me and going into 2020, a new decade, God willing uh, for all of us, more prosperity, certainly more health and happiness, more togetherness. Um, uh, less shouting and more bridge building, um, you know, and more music making in harmony. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Stay in touch. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember, get happy first and success will follow.